Have you ever thought about the smoking mountain? I'm talking about the event that took place in Exodus 19. If you'd been following the read through the Bible in a year plan that I gave out at the beginning of the year, you would have read that this week. But I want to think about this. Try to place yourself there. Imagine you're an Israelite. You've been a slave for, your people has been a slave for 400 years. God has brought all of these plagues upon the Egyptians to bring you out and deliver you from that slavery. You walked across the sea on dry ground. You saw the waters part. You walked across. Now you're in the, in the wilderness. God is about to give His law. Moses is about to go up to a mountain. But not just any event. So as I read this, I would like for you to think for a moment. Who is God? What kind of character does He have? How holy is He? How powerful is He? How much must He care about us to do the things that He's doing? What does that mean how I should live for Him? Think about that as I read Exodus 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai, for they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, And tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up unto the mountain or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to death. <laughs> 
There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for thou charged us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. If you were an Israelite at that time and you saw this mountain on fire and you felt the rumbling of the earth as that mountain shook, what kind of emotions would you have had at that point? How would you have felt about God? How would you have felt about what He's doing for you? What He has done for you and what He will do for you? Certainly God's power is great. In the beginning there, if you notice, He said that He reminds them that He had brought them out of Egypt and He bore them on eagles' wings. Isn't that a description of a type of care that God has for His people? Of rescuing them from their slavery. If you recall, throughout Exodus, He told them, I heard their cry. I have seen the affliction of my people. If you're ever in a difficult situation and you wonder, does God know? This ought to teach you. Just because you're going through something difficult does not mean that he doesn't know. He does. And if you cry to him 
And if you're being mistreated, God sees that. He hears your cries. His ears are open to his people. He's very near to the brokenhearted. That point is stated several times throughout Exodus. But then he reminds them that he has redeemed them to be his special people. There was certainly a a favor of God upon the Israelites when they had light in their dwellings and there weren't any in the Egyptians' houses. There There was a favor of God upon the Israelites whenever they escaped the death of their firstborn, but the Egyptians suffered that. There was a favor upon the Israelites when they came out with wealth because they had borrowed from their Egyptian neighbors. And then whenever the army was drowned in the sea, they came out with all of these possessions. God is showing that He loves His people. But they are a special people, unlike any other people. And so that moves them to then act accordingly. But did you think about this as you try to imagine standing near the mountain? You're not, you're not supposed to touch it. You're told, don't touch it. Don't come near it. Don't come, even come near the border of it. Don't try to break through and see what's going on. Don't try to see that. When you think about all of these things, what is he trying to say? He wants them to know that regardless of how you see yourself and the the situation, you need to see that God is a mighty, powerful being. This is not just anyone. This is not just like your buddy. This is not just like someone that you can just haphazardly barge into his presence. What is he teaching him when he said, don't touch the mountain lest you die? And if you noticed, God tells him to say it again. And Moses said, I told told them that. They're not coming up the mountain because you said that. And God says, go back down the mountain, tell them again. He wants them to, to know and be abundantly clear. He does not want anyone to break that part. Well, why is that? Because he's a holy God. It's not a haphazard thing. And it should never be, may it never be, that we view coming into the presence of God as just something that we can do without a cost. Without a, there, there were barriers between man and God because of our sin. He's holy. We are not in and of ourselves. Atonement had to be made. There had to be provisions made because of our sin. And so whenever he tells them that again, and then you hear the thunder. Imagine you're hearing that. And you're seeing the lightning. And you're hearing the voice of this horn that's blowing. And it's getting louder and louder. And maybe your eyes are squinting because of the smoke that's coming from that mountain. Isn't it interesting how the Egypt... 
as a form of slavery, as many times in the Old Testament, is referred to as an iron furnace. But here is an even greater furnace. Was that something God was trying to show them, that he was greater than, than the problems that they had? How can a holy God accept me? That's a good question to ponder. And as I think about this, and I think about the fear that they must have had, and the awe, the respect, the, the, the realization that I need to be holy and I need to prepare myself because this was a special occasion. This wasn't just any occasion. Did you notice how he mentioned that there was like a three-day preparation? And then whenever I think, well, what, is the, what has this got to do with me? And I, I don't know if this is exactly it or not, but I can't help but think there were three days that Jesus was in the heart of the earth. When he gave us our law that we have today, and there were some miraculous supernatural occurrences on that day that he died whenever it got dark. The veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked. Rocks split. People that were in the graves came out of the grave. And then he gave us this wonderful covenant. And as those people back then who said, all that the Lord said we will do, we need to make a commitment and enter into a covenant with him that we are dedicated that we are redeemed as a special people, bought not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with the blood of Christ. Come over with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and see the parallel that's mentioned here. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 18, He says, For you are not come into the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor into blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more. For they would not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. He's saying you weren't at that mountain that they could touch, which they were told not to. But he's going to talk about a different mountain. A mountain that it is not possible for you and I with our physical hands to touch. Because we're talking about a spiritual mountain. We're talking about something beyond this realm. And he says in verse 22, But you are come unto Mount Zion. And I don't think he's talking about the physical place when he says that. You're coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly 
and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Do you remember what Abel's blood did whenever his brother killed him? Out of, out of hatred and jealousy and anger, he killed his own brother, but God saw that. He didn't turn a blind eye to that. His blood cried to him from the ground. God would judge that situation. And so God will judge us if we are mistreated. And I think he's writing this to a people who had forgotten how blessed they were, who had endured some affliction for a, for a while. They had some persecution. They gave up some things to become Christians. But now that it has become hard, they are in threat now of backsliding and going back into their old ways. And they're, by doing that, they're not appreciating how great they have it. And so he's reminding them we need to be holy. We need to follow God and we need to know that we've been bought with a better blood. And when we think about this, sometimes I think people have this idea that God was this mighty, powerful God in the Old Testament. And somehow he must have changed his character as we come over to the New Testament. And I do not believe that is true in the very least. This passage is teaching me that this is the same mighty, powerful God who deserves respect as He always has been and ever will be. But yet He's done greater things for us than He did for them. He put all those plagues upon the Egyptians to free His people. He brought them out of physical slavery. But what He's done for you and I is... He has brought us out of spiritual slavery. And He has made us His special people. And He has made us a, a kingdom of priests. And you know what that tells me is that He deserves respect. He deserves the awe and reverence. He always has. But if anyone ought to love Him and appreciate and be thankful for what He has done, I ought to and you ought to. And He says... Verse 25, see that you refuse not him that speaketh. Isn't it interesting that sometimes people think that since God has been so gracious that I can just kind of relax my guard a little bit and maybe not care as much. I don't think that's the attitude that we ought to have at all. I think the attitude is that we need to be thankful and I, I have all the reason to want to live for him. It says in verse 25, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. I better listen to him. I better make sure that I hear his words and that I don't just put them off. I better make sure that I am applying myself to listen to what he has said. I better make sure that I... If those back then who touched the mountain were told, if you do that, you'll die, 
I, that, is there any reason why I think that I can just disregard God's commandments and somehow that's just something I'll go ahead and do and no, no big deal? I don't, I don't think that's the attitude I ought to have. If they escape not, who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. Some of your translations may say, let us be thankful and show gratitude. Whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Notice he doesn't say he used to be a consuming fire. He says he is a consuming fire. That mountain was on fire. He came down in fire upon that mountain. And yet, as much as there were all those bears, not anybody could just go up that mountain. Yet he's giving and granting the access to him we have that in a way that they did not. That should never cause me to pass that off as if it's nothing. What is God trying to show me here? He wants me to be thankful. He wants me to appreciate. Do I appreciate all the extent in which He has went to redeem us? Do you appreciate that? Does it reflect in how you live? If God is this patient with us, are we patient with each other? If God cares about us, are we reaching out to our fellow man? That's why in the very next part in chapter 13, he says, here's the practicality of this. This is what it should look like if you get this point. Let brotherly love continue. If you see how much God loves you, you should love your brother. Don't forget to show hospitality, even to people you don't know. In verse 3, remember them that are in bonds is bound with them. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. Try to imagine you are where they are. How would that feel? Them which suffer adversity as being yourselves in the body. That's hard to do for us. But as best as you can, try to empathize. Try to be where they are. Verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. If I get this point about you've come to this mountain, this is not a physical mountain. You've come into the presence of the Almighty God. You need to live a holy life and you need to live a life that abstains from any kind of sinful thing that he detests. There are some things he allows 
enjoy that. There are some things He does not allow. You better make sure that you don't do that. Just because you're saved by grace does not give you the right to thou trample underfoot that grace and treat it as if it's nothing and then you cheapen it. Verse 5, let your conversation or your conduct be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. If I know that I fear this God that we're reading about, when someone else threatens me, and, and now I've got a choice, do I put more weight on the pressure that the, this person in this world is trying to put on me and trying to get me to live the way they want me to and fit in with their culture? Or do I fear God who wants me to live the way He's taught me to live? I need to fear God. Don't fear Him who can kill your body. Fear Him who can kill your body and soul. But I also think that He's never going to leave me, see, verse 5. That's a comfort. When, when He talks about this reverence and awe, it's not the kind of reverence and fear that would cause you to run from Him. That's not it. It's not that He wants you to stay away and avoid Him. But that we're talking about a God that you need to be sober about your life towards. And we are talking about a God, though, that wants to have a relationship with you as well. And that's a comforting thought that He is a deliverer. Just like He pulled the Israelites out, how He can rescue us. He knows how to deliver the godly. Verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow. Consider of their conversation. Do you remember those people back then who told Moses, you talk to God because this is too much. So Moses put a veil on his face because he came down off of that mountain and his face was shining so bright. And they realized this is just too great. So you go talk to God and then you come tell us. But it was like a stand back kind of fear. But then there were times where they didn't fully follow what Moses said, even though they said that. They murmured and complained against Moses. And then, and then they tested him, and they did not respect what he was saying. The point here is, you have shepherds. You have people who are trying to watch for your souls. They care for you. It's not a, it's not a power trip, but it's people who are taught to love you and care about you. So what he's encouraging you to do is listen to them because they have your best interest at heart. And follow their example. If they're, if they're trying to say, follow me and listen to what I'm saying, it's not because they're trying to draw attention to themselves or take any kind of glory for themselves or anything like that. They're trying to look out for your best interest. Consider what their lives have shown. 
and say, you know what? If I want to be an example myself, I need to follow people like that. It's not talking about a blindly following, though. It's not, it's not saying that. But don't make it harder on them. They watch for your souls. Verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know what he's saying. We're serving the same God, and it's always been about him. That God that we see in that passage in, in Exodus, whenever he wrote with his finger on those tablets, that same God, it's always been about him. Do you realize you're serving the same God? In verse 9, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. There, there, were, there were things that some wanted to do and backtrack and, and, and bind to certain Old Testament practices, not realizing we've been freed from that. And there were also Gentile practices of, of, of idolatry, and he's trying to tell them to abstain from that. And we today need to guard ourselves against things that everybody says. Anytime somebody in the world tells you something or, or somebody preaches a certain philosophy, you need to ask yourself, did God say that? Where's the book, chapter, and verse? If I can't put my finger on the passage and the Bible doesn't say that, don't swallow what the world is throwing at you. There's a lot of things being peddling, peddled, trying, trying to get you to swallow the philosophies of men, and you need to not buy it. You need to test everything that is said with what the Scriptures say. And then you need to follow God, listen to His voice. But verse 10 says, We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. I think that there could have been a way in which those Jews who thought, okay, now that we're under a new covenant and no longer under the old, they might have felt like they were losing something. Like they were losing the, the temple, they were losing that sacrificial system, they were losing that priesthood, losing the altars, and all of, all of that. I think he's reminding them, though, no, we have an altar that they can't partake of. We didn't lose anything. We gained. And then he says in verse 11, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. Going outside the camp was a thing that they had to do in the old law when they had to go outside of the camp to make that uh, sacrifice. Jesus and his sacrifice was made outside of the gate of the city. And it's saying we need to go out to him. What does that mean? Well, I think to the Jew at this time, they needed to come out from the Old Testament system. They had to come out from earthly Jerusalem. They had to come out from that Old Testament sanctuary. And we, in general, need to come out of this world in general from its ways and its philosophies and everything that they're throwing at us. And so we need to come out 
and be separate and be holy. And what we need, the attitude we need to have is verse 15. By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. We need to show our gratitude and be thankful. Does your life reflect that gratitude? Do you have the joy of the Lord? Can other people see it? Can they tell that you are forever thankful that you get to serve God and you have access to Him by praying and that you can enjoy His fellowship without needing a priest to sacrifice an animal? Jesus is our high priest ever making sacrifice. His once and for all sacrifice. He's interceding on our behalf always for us. And so we can we don't have to be like they were who could not touch that mountain. We can come confidently to His throne of grace and find help in time of need. It's a lot more, and I've said this before, that some people when they think about the advantages we have in the New Testament, some people think it's all about that we can now have bacon. That's great. That is a blessing. You, you can eat bacon. It's not wrong. But there are so many more blessings. So many more things to be thankful for. Such a huge uh, sense of gratitude that we have being now under this covenant that we have a better hope. We have, we have a, a better city. Because we've been bought by a better blood. And we've got, we need, so this doesn't, should not cause me to have a haphazard attitude, but to even give him greater attention and respect and a holy life. May you do that. May we do it to the best of our ability. If you're not a Christian, why not? One, one day we will all stand before this Almighty God and I, I want each and every one of us to be accepted with Him. And the only way you can be accepted with Him is if the blood of His Son has covered you. You need to see that if you sinned and all have, then you need forgiveness for that. You've wronged Him. And you have no hope unless you apply that blood, unless you make atonement. He is a consuming fire, but he wants to have a relationship with you. He hates sin, but he wants your sin removed so he can enjoy your presence. He loves you more than your sin, so much more. Than, than, than the things that you have done and how you've, and how you've wronged him. And you, you need to make it right by repenting and deciding, I'm going to not live that way any longer. Starting today, make, make a decision today that I believe him with all my heart and I love him and I want to serve him. Be willing to make a confession. Don't be embarrassed of him. If he took the shame of the cross for you, 
Be willing to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then be baptized. Buried in water, buried into his death, raised with him to walk in newness of life. You now have, you can be a new creature if you do that. All your sins can be wiped away, forgiven, and he won't hold it against you any longer. And you can lay your head down tonight knowing you have a home in heaven. And no matter what you lose or who you lose on this earth, you have a hope in heaven, which is greater than any earthly, short-sighted pleasure that you might think that you need right now. Eternity is the important thing. And you want to be able to enter into that, him saying, well done. And then you can be with him. If you're a Christian, don't forget who you are. You are a part of the, a royal holy nation and if you sin and you need to make correction that this God is a forgiving God he will forgive you and whatever your need is you can come to the front and let it be made